From the Lucha Podcast Network, this is the Mass Startup Podcast. The Mass Startup Podcast profiles the most talented creators, impactful entrepreneurs, and high-performing professionals with the purpose to drive insights, learnings, and tactics to help you build the things that you believe in. My name is Dalis Ngoma, Managing Director and Founder of African Technopreneurs. I started in 2017 and pretty much been operating ever since. So when you started, what were you guys trying to achieve? So the whole idea behind African Technopreneurs was to actually teach fellow tech entrepreneurs to get into the space. But I think my philosophy has always been that before you teach people, you should actually be skilled in whatever craft that you're actually trying to teach them in, right? Mm. So again, is that my background has been in software engineering and the likes, and one of the first ventures that we had when starting the company was website development. Mm. That was actually carried across from another company. I did the numbers. Things were just not making any sense. So that's why late 2017, I played with the very first 360 camera, the Omni Miyagi Mi Sphere 360 camera. Mm. Mouthful, but hey, it did a lot. Whole idea at the time was to actually pitch that to real estate agents because at the time I was actually looking for property. I just came back from Asia, been there for like six years or so. Mm. And then the real estate agents were not buying this. This is pre-COVID, right? So I was like, well, if they don't want to buy the service, I might as well sell them the cameras. So that's how things actually started. And then late 2017, that's when I also saw Take Lot and Lux, but had also been selling another product called Flexiron. Mm. So that was a mobile, an international mobile data roaming package. So the initial product was a microchip that goes onto your SIM card. After that, it was an actual SIM card because quite a lot of people complained about the actual sticker that goes onto your SIM card. And then these days, they're now doing eSIMs. But yeah, with that learning, took it on to 180 by 2 That's the other e-commerce store that we actually have. And that was just more of a skunk work project on the mm-hmm. side where I was just like, let me just build this on the side. It was actually registered under my name and all this other stuff. Then I decided to actually take it into African Techno. So rather than it actually being something that actually funds my lifestyle, I might as well just like push, push that into the company. And then, yeah, early 2018, that's when it was take a lot. I just sent them a request to say, I can become a, can I become a reseller? Stated as to the cameras that I wanted to sell. They were like, hey, that's dope. You can sign up. Signed up with them, and yeah, ever since then, it's just been our e-commerce store, mm. which hasn't been doing as well as what it used to pre-pandemic, take a lot. And then now the biggest scope has been to be the distributor of choice when it comes to XR products. Mm. So now it is distributing to like the iStore, distributing to Orms, Outdoor Photo, Cameras, any other camera stores and the likes, and then quite a lot of guys who actually want to buy the BR or AR hardware. Mm. Yeah, I like how you just like, basically summarize your entire journey in life and <laughs> just said fuck the podcast <laughs> <laughs> so i'm gonna be yeah. like guy that's gonna go through everything now, yeah right so no, just no like choice. starting off you know how important was the time that you had in asia for what you're building now i think it was just more of a case of what can we swear on the podcast you can okay fuck it so, <laughs> so the thing that what actually happened was that it was uh, grade 12 I, I finished, I, I only qualified for a diploma, right? Mm. So the thing is that I, I was not really an academic in, in the very sense. So I ended up actually looking at where can I actually go and study, right? So I was looking at local, locally, right? And the thing that actually popped for me was the fact of, well, if it's local, I'll also just have a local experience, right? Mm. Compared to if I look at any other markets outside of South Africa. So then Malaysia came onto the radar, was there for like holidays for I think two weeks or so with family. 
then came back and then during the course of actually looking for places i was like might as well try malaysia right they speak english cheaper than singapore and i was like yeah it's asia it's something different so went there spent six years did a bridging course and then actually did my bachelor of yeah bachelor of science with honors in software engineering so mm-hmm. God, what is it? A second upper, so that's just below first class. So you can just imagine a person who isn't really interested in academics now necessarily gets themselves into like the seventy percent and above. But yeah, it was just a case of I was really just wanting to get close to where the stuff was being made in terms mm. of electronics and and such. And yeah, I also pursued a, a career in software engineering, which was specifically in iOS development. Yeah. So I think to a large degree, how it actually influenced things was that. You take things for granted when you actually now come back to like SA, right? So cheap internet, cheap electronics. So one of the things I actually even figured out was that there was a free trade agreement between Malaysia and Japan. So you could even get Canons, Nikons, any Sony products <laughs> cheaper in Malaysia compared to even the US. Mm. So those were things that actually came about. And yeah, it was, it was cheap. As in food was cheap, travel was cheap. It was just one of those things where, where, for instance, at least when you compare it to what we're currently facing with Lochin and all this other stuff, things were reliable, right? So I think when coming back, it was just more of a part of where I was working. I just decided to quit. I didn't even have a plan after that. Mm. Came back, was chilling with my parents, applied for a few jobs here and there. But yeah, pretty much getting with Asia, it was the fact that, yeah, it was different. Different people, you have to understand... I'm an African, I get a job as a software engineer in an Asian company. So to a large degree, not to say that it's always possible, but to a large degree, it also just opened up my eyes to be like, well, if it's possible for me, how could I actually even bring that to other people as well? Mm. Yeah. And like, where does this love for technology and new technologies come from? Because you're talking about your experience in Asia as just being this, you know, exploration to get closer to the technology even more. Mm. And... The work you guys are doing now, it's VR and AR, and you've yeah. been doing this as long as I've known you. I don't even know how long I've known you. Yeah, yeah. And even when I met you, that was still just like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> like, why, why does yeah. this matter? And yeah. now, mm. those things are starting to reveal themselves. And yeah. as, as so much more of AR and VR becomes just like normal and people start seeing it everywhere. I mean, mm. I was at Foy's Farmer's Market. Yeah. They had a VR station. Huh. <laughs> oh, it's farmer's market. Yes. Oh, what, the one near to Monty? Yes. Huh. Okay. It used to be at Monty somewhere else now. Okay. It was but, near to Limbro Park. Yes. Oh, that. <laughs> so, yeah. it's, it's like, you saw it so early, right? And yeah. even with this, you know, wanting to be in Asia to be closer to the technology, yeah. where does that come from? I think a sense of curiosity. I think, obviously, growing up, I got taught computers when I was like six, right? So even being able to take them apart, put them together, still remember the one story where I blew up the power supply. So it got repaired, but then silicone was put there to avoid me flicking that switch away again. But yeah, always just been tinkering, installing software, playing around with software, playing around with the command line. And I think there was just a curiosity. I always just liked technology. So of course, even in high school, even primary school, people knew me as like the techie, the guy mm. who could actually fix phones and all this other stuff. Even when I was in Malaysia, whenever I had any issues, I would typically be able to fix things myself. It was not that hard, right? So I think there was just that sense of curiosity. And I think with tech, it's just one of those things where it's abundantly clear, especially with software, that you can just break things and it's not going to cause ramifications down the Mm. line. Of course, depending on the sector that you're in. 
If you're in mining, if you're in the medical, of course, you have to be a bit more cautious. But if it's a case of an e-commerce store, if you're not necessarily doing anything revolutionary per se, you can necessarily start off with something and see as to how things go from there, even if it's like building small games and all this other stuff. So I think I've always just been a tinkerer. And that's why I think I've tried to get the company to be a place where we get new technology, you play around mm-hmm. with it. It's like a playground, as in you don't know what the possibilities would actually be. So you think of like Apple doing the release of the Vision Pro mm-hmm. that will drop to what's it next year, right? I was like, it's not like I thought that Apple was going to get into it, but I think maybe because of my interest in mobile technology, it necessarily led to that. Yeah. Yeah. So you come back from Asia and yeah. you're doing this web development stuff, which yeah. I think is like, the new t-shirt business <laughs> oh, we did it during COVID That's <laughs> <laughs> and like I think web development like yeah. maybe it's not valued as much mm. I think like in a country like South Africa you, you want a lot more people going onto the internet mm. to build their businesses to you know build front facing places where people can connect with their mm. products their services who they are how did you make that ca- calculation that this doesn't add up and we now need to pivot <laughs> to yeah. AR and VR and something else other than the services business. I think, you know, when you're running a business, you have to run your numbers. So if, for example, you're looking at, at the time I had two employees that I'd also inherited and likes, and I'm running the numbers. Okay, so websites are being charged for like a 1,000 to probably like 5,000 rand, right? Mm. How much time is required to actually build these websites, right? And the mere fact is that if also one of the things which was inherited was charging, I think, around 150 rand per month for servicing fees, mm. You do the math real quick. You can really see like this is going to be a struggle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're literally not going to get to where you need to be. For guys who are obviously building software, that's a different story, right? I'd also done a few hustle hustles when I was in Malaysia, right? Where sometimes I'll be just doing the stuff over the weekend as well for clients and, and such. So again, when running the numbers, it was just not making much sense. And to also try and get new clients per se, that was also just a bit of an uphill battle. Mm. So I think why the switch was also because I had a, a history. This was high school and also university of selling products. So I think it was just like a natural fit that, hey, it's selling products and ironically so selling tech. And I was actually getting to my strengths. Yeah. So what was the first step to trying to get, you know, yeah. new technology like this, the mm. 360 cameras into South Africa? Yeah. And then trying to convince people that this had value. And mm. obviously you chose a very specific industry, right? Yeah. I think that estate agents are so, they need it so much, right? Mm. Because when you on a, say, a property website and you're looking at a property and there's mm. no visual experience that shows you what it's like to be in it, mm. it's so much less. Like, pictures are great. Yeah. But a VR or a 360 experience is like something else. Yeah. So I suppose... From what I've actually heard, similar to Airbnb, is that they want to sell you hopes and dreams. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they don't want you to actually see the full place for what it is. So it really depends as to which part of the industry you're trying to tackle. But yeah, it was, I don't know. I literally started off with the fact of, hey, let me try and push these same cameras in terms of me being able to take pictures and all this other stuff. It can be uploaded onto Facebook. And then other native plugins that can even work with WordPress and, and such that do not work. But then they were like, can we buy the camera? So then how that actually started off with was funny enough, I just went onto Amazon. I saw that I could buy some of these same cameras. So I did my research. I went through a whole lot of videos and all this other stuff, top five, 360 cameras, bought two of each. The whole philosophy was that I would have the one for testing. The other one would be for sale. 
And if, for example, that one was sold, it's quite easy for me to buy two. And obviously, depending on the cycle, if, for example, it's been sitting there for six plus months, I know it's just something I just needed to get out. Mm-hmm. But then from there, it was also emailing the suppliers, right? Because, of course, it's like I, I can buy from Amazon as much as I want. But, of course, the one thing I did not know, and it might seem silly, is that the suppliers actually have supplier prices or distributor prices. So it's lower than the, the, the recommended retail price. Mm. So, of course, I was like, okay, if this is the case, I might as well just deal with these same guys. And my talk of this story with like Insta360, I literally just sent them an email to say, hey, guys, can I sell you cameras? They said, no, nah, there's already someone in South Africa that's doing it. Mm. Got with the local s- supplier or distributor at the time. They sent us like a 40 plus page document for us to actually sign and all this other stuff. That got reviewed. I always read all my contracts, right? Because I think if for anybody who's like given an offer to purchase, if you do not read it and you just sign off, you're legally bound to it. As in, you could look for a loophole and maybe you could get yourself out of it, but it has always just been the fact of having to go through every sort of piece of paperwork. Mm. So after that, sent it to the local distributor. They weren't getting back to us, right? So I spoke to Insta360, or they actually sent an email to say, what's happening with this local distributor? I said, yeah, we've sent the paperwork, but we do want to buy the cameras. Then from there, it was a case of, I still forget how many cameras we bought initially. I think it was around 20 or 40, Mm -hmm. right? And then what happened is that they were like, well, if you can buy double that, we'll throw in a, a display stand that you can actually use. I was like, okay, fine. That ended up turning into a very interesting debacle with Take A Lot, right? I, I did not know quite a lot of the aspects as to Take A Lot. So the one thing was like with ICASA, any electronic goods which use radio frequency, so that would be Bluetooth, Wi-Fi or anything else, wireless, it needs to be ICASA approved. I still remember the first email they said, hey, is this stuff ICASA approved? I said, nah, it's not. They had to delist de- de- that same camera. Then it was a case of another camera which was being sold. I think it might have been Garmin or whatever. They said, hey, are you the authorized distributor of this in South Africa? I said, no. They also deactivated that listing. And funny enough, it was after a sale went through. So at least we actually got the money for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> then it was a fact of realizing these same things. Ended up on the journey of having to learn about ICASA, having to mm. fill up the TA forms. I've forgotten what it actually means. And then actually being able to sell the stuff, even with a local distributor, they tried to t- play that dirty tactic of kicking us off Take Lot, where you need a letter of authority. Got this letter of authority from Insta360 that necessarily got us through. He was even arguing to say that we're selling our pri- the cameras lower than what he's selling them for. I'm like, it's an open market. <laughs> so mm. If I'm selling at a loss, how is that actually going to hurt you, right? Mm. As, in, as far as it goes, I presume his issue was that now he's not making sales and I'm making sales. Even though, for instance, I'm making it at a loss, I think it actually was hurting him in, in that regard. But after that, the rest is history. We've necessarily been buying cameras predominantly from from Insta360. And even with the, the VR headsets, be it that it's HTC, Pico, Meta, it's been quite easy to actually just talk directly to guys and actually get the stuff in bulk. So most of the times, I think when anybody actually wants to buy virtual reality headsets in bulk, and we do have quite a few clients, it'll be 20, 40, 50, whatever amount it is, Mm. they can just talk directly to us. The resellers, same thing, that they know that if, for example, they want to buy the items and sell them, they don't have to now deal through all the dirty work. And I think that's what we are in, in, in regards to being the distributor, that we do all the dirty work, in essence, for anybody who wants to buy the cameras, even when it comes to repairs and the likes, they don't have to now send the stuff 
back to Amazon or back to China and all that other stuff. We deal with that locally in that regard. Yeah. And yeah, that's pretty much just been, I think, the process of getting ourselves in, in that journey. And then quite a bit of R&D. So what happens is that if there's a new product, we typically just buy one of them to see as to how it actually works in-house. So like with the HoloLens 2, funny enough, the HoloLens 2 sells for the same price as the Vision Pro. Mm. But I think because this Apple was a consumer company, it's seen that, oh, wow, this is so expensive. <laughs> but the thing is that, got one. But 160,000 rand is... <laughs> let's, let's not... <laughs> it's just a big amount, but it depends. I suppose you're not the demographic for the product that is actually being sold, right? Are you saying I'm broke? Ah, yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> All I'm just saying is that if it was... <laughs> You can't afford it. It's not expensive. You're yeah. just not the target market. Yeah, you're just not the target market. Tough. So, so, so <laughs> that's the thing. But got one unit, played around with it and likes. Then you talk to a variety of people in the community. So mm-hmm. I think the good thing that also happened, this was, I think, early 2018, was actually being able to be a part of a community. So the We Are VR, Jersey community. It's literally now a WhatsApp group for the time being. Mm-hmm. Was prior to COVID, we used to actually have physical events. And having those physical events helped that people could actually try virtual reality. I can tell you, you can watch as many YouTube videos, but you're not going to necessarily know what virtual reality is up until you actually put it on your face. Yeah. With augmented reality, it's quite easy. You can use your phone and all this other stuff. So those have been ways that we've been able to try and get more people to have access to the equipment and such. Yeah. Yeah. What does the product lineup look like now versus when you guys started? Obviously, you just like wanted to prototype quickly, Mm. test something, put something in the market, put Mm. it on, take a lot, have these different distribution channels. But now you can really start playing with like what you want to put out there. Mm. What does that product lineup look like now? Yeah. Yeah. So if I were to compare it back then, back then it was only or predominantly 360 cameras, right? Mm. So it was funny. This was 2018. I think that was when the um, Oculus Go got released. That was the first standalone VR headset. So it wasn't like your Samsung Gear VR where you had to put your phone. And that was probably my reluctance when I saw that product to say, I have to put my phone in to try VR. I remember these. Yeah. So it was like one of those things where now if my battery dies, I have to now charge my phone again. It just didn't make much sense. So when I saw the standalone, I was like, huh, this is quite interesting. Bought, I think, around four of them. So it was two, I think, 32 gigs and two 64 gigs. They were just sitting in the office. I don't know why exactly they were sitting in the office. But I ended up just like opening up one. And funny enough, we had actually listed them on TechLot as well. Mm. And then all of a sudden, there was like a pickup of sales. Someone bought one item. I was like, this is interesting. Let's buy more of them, right? And from there, it ended up just being the fact of the Oculus Go, funny enough, was my very first VR headset that I could actually remember even using for the first time, right? Mm. Maybe they might have been prior headsets, but clearly they just didn't leave an impression in my mind. Then after that, it was testing desktop VR, right? So it was, the I think it was the HTC Vive setup, but I think prior to that, it was actually the Oculus Quest Rift, or actually the Oculus Rift, for correction's sake. And it was funny, it had these sensors that would be on the table, and then it would actually be able to track the headset and the controllers. I'm glad that I probably tried the Go and then the Rift before trying the, um, the HTC Vive mm. setup. With that, it was like a whole chaotic setup. You had to have these sensors that you either mounted. What we actually used were light stands. So at least with the light stand, it would make it easy. That's but so there, insane. Then there was like a whole lot of cables that ran. I was like, if this was my first impression of VR, I'd be like, this is not what I want to be selling. But after that, it was more of a case of getting more of these same products into the market. Mm. And whenever there was any particular request, people would actually call to say, hey, do you have this? 
And I'll say, yes, and often I have to place an order because I clearly don't have this. But it was just one of those things where, again, with testing the, the products, if you come to my place, I've typically got a variety of VR headsets which are just sitting around. Mm. As in probably the, the most recent one we've gotten has been the PS5 with the PSVR2, right? Even though we can't distribute it, or at least we don't know who the distributor is, that testing what the competition has makes it easy for us to actually know when people ask, like, hey, how does a PSVR2 compare to whatever is actually there? So the current lineup is predominantly, I think, VR-based. Mm. Still 360-based as well. We have experimented with other cameras. There is the new one from Insta360 called the Go3. Yeah. So that's more of a competitor to your GoPro Hero. So it's like a thumb-sized camera, but you can attach it to like a, a medallion on your chest and the like, so you've got like a first-person view. Mm. Or, for instance, like right now with the Go3, it actually now has a screen. So when attaching it, what necessarily plays out is the fact that you can actually now see a live preview before recording. And the nice thing is that from what I'm actually understanding is that it can also act wirelessly, but I'll have to just test it out. Again, that's the thing. I always just have to test the tech before I actually try and pitch it to anybody. Yeah. So yeah, that's pretty much what our lineup has been. Augmented reality or like your heads up display units, we haven't seen much traction, even like with the HoloLens 2. You see the videos online, you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. You try this, you're like, it has a very narrow field of view. Mm. I think when I talk about field of view, is that you just think of a screen. If, for example, it curves, that's your field of view. Yeah. If it's quite narrow, that's all that you actually are seeing. And the interactions, I was like, this is not necessarily something that I can see working out quite well. And that's why for ourselves, we've actually signed up as resellers for the core group. So funny enough, even though we sell to the core group, we're also resellers off of the core group. Mm. So that actually allows you as a business to buy these items at a discounted rate, which obviously is for resale. So with the Vision Pro, if it does come through, that would be one of the avenues for us to actually even look into. Yeah. yeah. When you, what informs your passion and like obsession yeah. with VR? Because like, yeah. I understand just the applications being a extended experience mm. for people to see spaces, yeah. play games, mm. But like what Apple showed was just like living life through this. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. Apple's going to pretend that true, true, true. this thing's going to change your life. But yeah. like you care about it at a very deep and fundamental level. Yeah. I think what touched me at the time, it, it might seem a bit silly, is that when being in Asia, you've got access to all this tech, all the latest tech. It typically comes out. You always have it right there at your doorstep. So I think XR is not to say that AR and VR is the only set of technology that would actually be bringing in as African technopreneurs. But I was like, if nobody else is bringing it into South Africa in mass, right, I might as well actually do the job. Mm. So again, as I saw a gap in the market, nobody was actually doing it the way that we're actually doing it. And I'm hoping that, for instance, for quite some time, I'm hoping that there is competition that comes about. But yeah, I was like, well, if we're talking about VR, I see these videos on YouTube and all this other stuff. But then when I ask the question, does anybody have this in South Africa? And if the answer is no, then I'm like, but why isn't that the case, right? So I ended up actually just jumping into that. I think it's just on the basis that it was also a very new market. Mm. And I think that's the thing when people adopt technology a little bit later than, than most. So you think of like the very first iPhone that came out in 2007. And then obviously, I think the App Store got released in 2008 when the iPhone 3G came out, right? So if you are one of the first developers of applications on that platform, right, you probably have a wider reach in terms of people who can actually see your apps. Mm. Now you go into the App Store. The iPhone has been around ever since 2000, yeah, 2007. That's a long stretch. Mm. So now you've got a whole lot of competition that's actually hitting you. So that's why even ideas when people are saying, oh, why, why don't you sell drones and the likes? I'm like, 
you go onto Google, you can see here plenty of people are already doing this. That's true. And why should I do what everybody else is doing? So I think that's what actually informed me in getting into the field was to say it seemed like it was new technology. It was mobile as well. Practically speaking, most of the VR headsets run on Android anyway. So there was a bit of a, a gap where a person could actually see that if they were a mobile developer, they could actually jump onto this platform as well. Mm. So that was it. Is that I was like, huh, this is a small field. If it's a small field, at least you've got less competition. And if you've got less competition, I think it gives you more avenue to play around. The only risk that comes with that is that if there's no market, <laughs> that's when you find yourself in a very, very bad place. But the good thing is that ever since, even like with the Go, yeah, the Oculus Go, I still remember it's like it was like one, two, three, and then all of a sudden we're getting orders for 20, 40, and then it actually just kept on going and going and going. Where we got hit hard was obviously COVID, but that's a different story. Mm. Yeah. You seem to be very excited to test things yeah. very quickly, yeah. see if they work, yeah. and then if they don't, move on yeah. and lose money and be okay with that. Yeah. So two sides to this. Number one is how do you get that energy to be willing to get burnt? Yeah. And then how do you deal with the loss of the money? <laughs> <laughs> so kind of the same question, yeah. but like, yeah. yeah, because I do think most entrepreneurs aren't testing and learning as much as they should. Yeah. But you seem to have an approach that's just like, there's this new technology. Yeah. Let's bring it in. Yeah. Buy three. Mm. See if it works. Yeah. If it doesn't, it's okay. Yeah. If it does, let's see what happens. So I think if we're looking at tech, I, I talk of tech across the board. So I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm an expert in programming languages and the likes. But it was just that interest to say, okay, so I'm learning this particular programming language. The first one that I've necessarily been taught was in high school, which was Java, right? So it was Java, and then often going to university, they're teaching you C, they're teaching you C++, and then often they're C sharp. And then obviously, for what I did for my final year thesis was based on Swift, which was a brand new programming language, right? Mm. But I think it's the old saying, no pain, no gain. I think if you go to the gym, you necessarily see that at the beginning, you don't see any sort of results. You put in the effort, then slowly but surely, it actually compounds and actually see the results over time. Same thing, I think, even when it comes to investing as well and the likes. So I think even with tech and being burnt, the amount of times that I've actually like been trying to repair something and it gets damaged, at least I've actually learned what not to do the next time, right? So of course, when you're talking about how that actually gets recovered, that is hopefully from all the other experiments. It's like probably running a VC at times where you put all your, your investments in a variety of products and seeing as to which ones work. Mm. So like right now, during this period, we're actually seeing more sales in the 360 cameras compared to the VR headsets. And then other seasons, we'll see that there's a huge increase with the VR headsets compared to the 360 cameras. So I think there's, for me, I, I've, I've also got patience to play around with the same stuff. So I bring up even the fact of crypto, right? Crypto, I probably knew about it around 2013, 2014. Play around with it and, and all this other stuff. 2017 came, that's when there was now this buzz with ICOs and all this other stuff. It was literally just gambling, sorry to say. So, 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 so the thing is that now I was there gambling with a whole lot of guys. You have to understand with one friend who was my housemate, he was a medical student. What does a medical student know about crypto, right? Mm. But you're like, okay, let's play around with the same stuff. God burned heavily, right? So of course, out of the, the game for, for, for quite some time, but then I was just a dollar cost averaging. So pretty much saving a set amount every single month, mm -hmm. right? So that ran from like 2017 up until I think 2020. So 2020, that was, I think the halvening. So half the block reward that a miner would get for Bitcoin. So obviously it's technical terms, but just to elaborate is that- No, Dali, we've done a crypto <laughs> podcast. So we're not yeah. doing it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so either way is that, you know, you could smell it, you could feel it. I don't know. There's this, that feeling when you can sense that new tech 
is about to uh, rise up. So that's why it was like a YOLO feeling when it came to like end of 2020 and then getting into 2021, mm. even though we had lockdown and all this other stuff. But it was going crazy. It was bizarre because I was just playing around with the same stuff. But of course, during the course, I actually lost a whole lot of money. But the thing is that I think like any sort of aspect of life is that I'm not saying that everybody has to suffer or actually go through some sort of hardship. Mm. But sometimes certain lessons need to be learned as soon as possible in order for you not to necessarily learn them at a later stage where the risks or actually the impact would even be higher. So you can just imagine if when you're young, you got scammed, right? And it did actually happen to me. I used to sell computer parts. This is when I was in high school. And I remember what happened is that this one guy, he was new. This was on carbonite.co.za. It used to be, I think, Prophecy Computers. So it's a while back. But what happened is that typically when people would want to buy, right, I would actually ask them to give a deposit. And then when I deliver the item, they'll give the rest of the deposit, right? In this scenario, it was like a swap. So what was happening is that I was going to give this guy one graphics card enough and he was going to give me two graphics cards in return. So he was a new person on the platform. He didn't actually have much of a rating and the likes. And I necessarily sent the item, sent him the tracking number. He sent me a tracking number, but it was fake, right? Mm. So now there's a whole situation where I was just like, I've literally screwed up, right? And these were graphics cards for a friend. So whatever gains I actually had, I had to <laughs> now give that back to the friend, right? But the thing is that it was the fact that I had to now learn that there had to be trust models put in place in that regard. Same thing even when it comes to anybody that trades with us, right? And it's an EFT. I always insist with the guys in the office to say, hey, guys, if the money does not reflect in the bank account, and currently we, we bank with all four major banks, so that'll be ABSA, Standard Bank, FMB, and NetBank, right? Mm. So if a person says, hey, I want to buy the item, and we do have a few walk-in customers, right? They say, but I bank with Standard Bank. Okay, here are Standard Bank details, right? We see the money, you get the items. Because I know, as, an, as a customer, you do get frustrated when you get somewhere, you've made payment, now you can't collect because the money hasn't actually reflected. Yeah. But it has happened. As I remember, there was this one university, I've forgotten which one it was, but I think it was near to the coast. But either way, they had sent us a POP to say that they made payments into our bank account. I spoke to my colleague and he said, oh, we should ship out the items. I said, no, I saw that the money has not reflected. And the thing is that it was one day passes, nothing. Two days pass, nothing. Three days pass, nothing. So I'm like wondering what exactly ha has actually happened. So what happened is that we had to talk to the same university. Then they sent the money, then they actually got the goods. Because, of course, as in we would expect that you can trust everybody. I think you're sharing a story where you're buying replacement parts for like mm. 200 and then you just didn't see the items actually get returned. And depending, that could be your last 200, right? So the sooner you can learn some of these lessons, it actually does help. So I think it's not to move fast and break things, but I think when you're breaking these things, you have to understand what exactly had happened. I still remember the story when I was at work. This is in Malaysia. I was repairing this one friend's phone. I thought, as in the first time around, I, when I replaced the screen of my, my phone, right, that you could just take out uh, what you followed the steps to, you took out the screws, so I put them in a particular way, right? This time around, I thought I was being smart. I took out all the screws, they looked the same, right? Now when putting them in, it seems like I damaged, I think, the, the motherboard or whatever mm. it is. So now the phone was not actually working. But when going through the instructions, you realize that some of these same screws were different sizes, even oh, though to yeah. the eye, they looked the same. So, of course, those are things that you actually just take into consideration that, hey, you've done something. And that's why it's not to say that you can't necessarily always, well, what, what can I say? You can, you can go about things in a haphazard way, 
But I think there's a, a point where you get into the rhythm of getting things done properly, even like driving a car. Obviously, you might be joking when you're driving a stick or a manual, mm. but after a while, it should actually become quite smooth. And then after that, when you move to something like an automatic, it's, it's quite quite clear as to how things go. Same thing even with cameras. Yeah. I think it was one thing with a friend where I was always giving excuses to say, I can't take photos, right? And <laughs> she told me, well, just use your phone, but she had a DSLR. Mm. I started using my phone and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Then I got a base model DSLR. From there, I've necessarily played around with it. And I think the reason why I also just emphasize to sometimes get the base model or something is because if, for instance, you don't really have a passion for it, at least you haven't spent so much money. You can just imagine if I got like the top of the line DSLR, firstly, it's just so confusing with all the manual dials, right? And then secondly, even realizing terms like body only, what the heck is body only? I said, at least with the starter kit, at least you've got everything there. Yeah. So yeah, as in, I think there's always just that aspect of, hey, as long as you're, you're not hurting yourself physically or you're not going to die, I think you've got the room to actually just experiment and see as how things go. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned that you guys are seeing a lot more sales with the Insta, like the 360 cameras. Yeah. What are South Africans doing with that? Besides hiking, <laughs> I know all your customers are in Cape Town on the mountain right now. <laughs> some of them do that, but some of the other use cases have been for like real estate and construction. Mm. So, and even for instance, like events, you can actually use it to even get the behind the scenes footage and the likes. So, of course, if you're having an event, you can actually even record. And that's a nice thing with the 360 is that you can actually relive a moment at that particular moment in time. So, of course, most of the times people would be using it for action and the likes. So mounting it into a car mm. or on their bike or on a helmet or even like the one time I actually bungee jumped with uh, a 360 camera. So, of course, we talk of that adventure aspect. But then there is the, um, the aspects of being able to make cash, which would be put it onto a tripod, capture. I can actually put that online. And I, th I think when we talk of even real estate, mm. the reality is that I think for safety, it Somewhat makes more sense that you can actually get people to see a preview before they actually come to your place, right? Because, of course, people can actually come in and out. I still remember the one time I was looking at places, got into the house, the owner's passport was right there. You can just imagine if I wasn't an honest person to just like take it. And mm. often now the person's like, where's my passport? So it mitigates yeah. risks at some level. Exactly, exactly. Mm. So that's pretty much it when it comes to, to that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. What do you hope the future of VR looks like in South Africa or across the continent? Mm, I think the first thing is that the technology just fades away. You, you don't necessarily consider it to be VR. So I think even like with the Vision Pro, I, I just bring that up because it's been the most recent one, right? That it just fades away. It doesn't feel like it's something that you have to even think about using, right? So like, for instance, right now with VR, it's the enclosed environment that probably still sets people off. Because of course, in that enclosed environment, at least you've got more freedom to do a whole lot of things. But at least that would actually help quite a lot of people get to experience things that quite a lot of other people get to. So, for instance, if you live near to the coast, right, you could organize a whole bus, let's just say, from Soweto all the way down to the coast in one from another. Or, for instance, people can actually virtually experience it. Not to say that not having that real experience is, isn't something worth trying, right? But at least you already get a feel of what exactly you should actually expect. Mm. Even when it comes to like education as well, I still remember, I think it must have been like grade 10. We're supposed to dissect frogs, but some of the girls got squeamish. We never actually got to dissect them. So with virtual reality, at least you could actually do that without actually hurting any animals in, in the process or even any people's bodies, even though they are dead. But the thing is that th those are the aspects that you get. And I think it might sound black mirror-ish, 
But yeah, as in you can necessarily live whatever experience that you want, even when it comes to fitness. That's also one aspect that we've seen with virtual reality. Mm. But I think just being able to be the people who also find ourselves not always just being the lost of the pack when it comes to this new technology, but being the ones to influence and possibly even be able to either assemble or even manufacture within the continent. But for that to happen, I think there's going to be a whole lot of things that need to change, which I think won't happen anytime soon. But I think it should be the fact that, hey, when people think VR, there are these guys within the continent who are actually influencing the space as to what exactly we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. What is one thing that you wish you knew when you started your entrepreneurship journey that you know now? <laughs> it's, 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 it might sound cliche, highest low, fire fast. Highest low? Fire fast. So it's not to say that you can't give people a chance and, and such. But I think with, with business, you have to understand that it's all about the resources that you have. And if, for instance, you bring on people that slow down the process of you running your business, right? Firstly, you're paying them, which necessarily already reduces the cash that you have. Then secondly, it's a mere fact that now they're also slowing down something that might have been seamless. If maybe, let's just say, for myself, I've been doing everything, right? And the unfortunate part, when you're running a business, you can't do everything. You necessarily, mm. at a certain point, have to delegate quite a lot of these func functions. And that's why, even when it comes to like couriers and all this other stuff, I've always just been like, hey, courier guy is not working, I'll necessarily use courier. If courier is not working, I'll necessarily use Dornwing. If Dornwing is working all the time, I'm necessarily sticking to them, because at least they're making my life as smooth as possible. But I think, of course, when it comes to people who get hired, there are different levels that they actually come in. If they're an intern, I think one actually has to give them grace to actually learn in their lives. But if they claim themselves to be a professional, I think that's where you have to be a bit more ruthless in a sense, because you're expecting them to do a particular job. And if they're not getting that job done, unfortunately, so even with the culture within the, the team, they also see it being reflected that if, for instance, the person is just not pulling their weight, it just doesn't help, right? Mm -hmm. And I think even when you look at COVID, right? They might have been top performers, and I think that also just comes to a different talk of like politics and all this other stuff as to people who stay in an organization or not. But for some of these companies to stay lean, they necessarily had to cut down and keep to the core of who exactly can actually provide. Not to say that the other people weren't necessarily valuable, but the thing is that, especially as a startup or a small business, I think you just don't have the luxury to just like throw money here and there and then expect things to actually work out. If you do have that unlimited supply, by all means. But I think, if anything, we've, we've seen it, even when it comes to like sports, as in it might seem like a silly analogy. But Man City, as in being the top team, what is the argument? They've got a whole lot of money. Well, clearly, it seems like it's being allocated properly. You see it mm. with Red Bull as well, clearly being properly allocated. But there are some instances where people have a whole lot of money. I think we've seen it with Mercedes. I don't know what's happening there, right? Mercedes? <laughs> Elon Musk with Twitter. That's not... <laughs> exactly. Elon Musk with Twitter as in 44 billion. As, in, as far as it goes, it was seen as a joke. And now he's actually purchased it. But what he's left, I think, around 80% of his stuff. Not to say the sexiest thing to actually do. But I think, of course, if you want the company to still be a going concern, you have to make those same sort of decisions. So I think uh, that's probably the biggest thing that I've actually learned where initially I took the approach that, hey, well, people don't have jobs. Let's necessarily bring them in and see as to how things actually play out. But now it's just a case of, hey, you really have to go through a thorough selection criteria. And through that, when you bring good people in, at least even if there are people who don't necessarily seem to know what exactly is happening or where things are going, at least those senior people could actually assist with those same people being able to see as to how things go. Because it's very rare that I think you can just bring a whole lot of people together and then things just work, right? It's usually those people who come together probably have strengths in particular fields. And when put together, it actually expands into something greater than themselves. Powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dalia. You're welcome.
You're welcome. <laughs> I said, I dropped pause for you, man. You're welcome. <laughs> I said, it reminds me of the Kobe commercials. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is exactly the same thing. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, what? We're good? Yeah, we're good. Cool. Thank you so much, bro. No stress. Thanks Press for that. that red button. All right. Oh, is it done? All good, yeah. It's done. To access previous episodes of this podcast, but also again access to other shows on our network, please visit lucha.com.